Praise the Lord. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. Joshua chapter 14, uh, verses 6 through 15. And also we're going to be looking at Numbers 14, verse 24. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the uh, Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, the Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time He said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to the battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hilled country that the Lord promised me that day. And you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him the Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Amen. Numbers 14.24 says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Maybe if you have a Bible, a physical Bible, maybe you can highlight that. Different spirit. And follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into, into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Great to see you all in person, and uh, good to be back to church, and thank you for those who are also joining us virtually as well. Um, as we are the people of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are definitely called to live by faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. And as we do so, the righteous shall thrive as well. However, I understand it is very difficult to keep our faith active in this culture that is so hostile against our lifestyle of faith. But remember, this is expected as our struggle is not merely flesh and blood, but we are fighting against the dark forces in the spiritual realm. As political, cultural, and social environment is more and more radically becoming hostile to Christian faith, even in our nation, 
The time of testing of our faith is here now. And as we are and will be facing much oppositions, temptations, even and even perhaps persecutions, we can't just live our Christian life as before. We can't just somehow get by day by day anymore. I believe it is a time for us to build up the most holy faith. It is time for us to upgrade our faith to another level. It's time for us to develop radical faith in this radically changing world so that we shall not just survive day to day, but thrive as God's people such a time as this. Amen. Thus, we started this series, series called Building Up the Most Holy Faith about two weeks ago. And we will continue to learn how to live the life worthy of our calling by faith. Today, we look into a Bible character who followed the Lord wholeheartedly by faith and received what God has promised him at the end. And we know his name. His name is Caleb. And as we look into his faith, it is my prayer that we will learn about faith that is required for us to live in the promise of God such a time as this. But let me give you a brief historical background of what is happening in this chapter 14 of the Joshua. We know the story of Exodus, right? How God led the Israelites out of slavery of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. However, because of their grumbling and complaining, the Israelites had to go through the time of testing in the wilderness. About for about how long? Everybody knows? 40 years. And all of Moses' generation, including Moses himself, were not able to enter into the promised land, except two people, Joshua and Caleb. After Moses passed, Joshua was chosen to lead the Israelites to enter and conquer the promised land. And the conquering campaign is about the book of Joshua. And I really want to strongly encourage you to read the book of Joshua, especially nowadays. It will give us, uh, it will increase our faith. You will build up our faith even more. And during the campaign, conquering campaign, after they experienced the victory of Jericho, I'm sure you know the story of Jericho as well, right? By the power of God, the Joshua and Israelites had been conquering the promised land one by one, defeating various enemies. The city of Ai, Gibeon, and even the coalition of the five Amorite kings. And that's the previous chapters of Joshua. Now, one of the highlights of the campaign, however, I would like to point it out is this. Maybe you can read, again, the book of Joshua to find this out. God demonstrated his dedication to Israel's victory by generating the divine daylight saving. Stopping the rotation of the earth in response to Joshua's daring faith. As Israelites' army was winning, the day, the day was almost over. Obviously, during their world, ancient warfare, you can't fight in the night. But if you lose the chance to, to seal the victory, it's very difficult to fight again next morning. So Joshua actually asked God to help and 
God actually stopped the rotation of the earth. The sun was just standing there even longer. And some of the mathematicians and some of the uh, phys uh, f physics um, scholars actually calculated the earth, uh, the time, and there was some literature talking about there is about eight or about 12 hours, eight to 12 hours time that uh, they cannot actually find out. They cannot see where actually those time went. So anyway, we can get into that later. But um, that was what's happening. But finally, at the almost end of the campaign, God commands Joshua to divide the conquered land for each tribe of Israel to process, possess. And today, today's passage explains how a man named Caleb from the tribe of Judah claimed his territory, the Hebron region. He's saying, it's mine, because God promised me 40 years ago. If you know who Caleb is, it is a very interesting man. Caleb and Joshua were living examples of God's faithfulness in fulfilling his promises from the very beginning. Of all who left Egypt, only Caleb and Joshua lived to enter the promised land. What an honor. Can you imagine? I made it to the promised land. When every one of my peers died off, even Moses is no longer, but I made it. That was Caleb and Joshua. So Josh, the Caleb was there from the very beginning of Exodus, witnessing God's wonders in the Egypt. God, he also experienced God's wonder in the desert. He also experienced the constant unfaithfulness of Israel in the desert. And then Moses' death even. And entering experiencing of the promised land. He went through it all. And through it all, he says, I still have faith in the promise of God. And this is what's said about this man, by God. Numbers 14, 24 says, God says this, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. What an honor. When God says to you, man, this is my servant with a different spirit, different faith. And he followed me all the days of his life wholeheartedly. And I will bring him into the land that he went to. And I will keep my promise. I don't know about you. I want to hear from the Lord about me in this way. Right? When God says to you, come, my faithful servant. You have followed me wholeheartedly. Wow. What a compliment. I mean, who cares about the fame of, in this world? Who cares about the people who don't know who Caleb is? Caleb was approved by God with such words. What about us? Do we have a different spirit? And I like the word here, different spirit. What does it mean by different spirit? You're talking about different faith, the radical faith. You know what? Holy faith. That's what it means. My Caleb, my servant, has a different spirit, different faith, the radical faith. Actually, he has a holy faith, supercharged faith, that he kept the, 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 the promise of God that he received 40 years ago, not four months ago, not four years ago, 
not four weeks ago, but 40 years ago. Wow. Today, I want to see what faith was that enabled this 85-year-old man to possess that which God has promised him. I want to see and learn what kind of faith is this? What is this Caleb's different spirit, different faith, radical, holy faith? And I think Caleb pictures the Christian who is willing to pay the price, fight the battles, and achieve the victory that God has promised. And as we study how Caleb received the fulfillment of God's promise, it is my prayer that we will be learned to activate this holy faith, holding and living in the promise of God. Amen? Amen? I hope I'm not the only one who's excited to look into this. There are four characteristics of Caleb's faith worthy of consideration. Caleb's commitment, confidence, courage, and conquest. Let me explain one by one. First, Caleb's commitment. Now, the first key to Caleb's success was his commitment to follow the promise of God. Note the repeated phrase, wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Verse 9, verse 9, 14, and even numbers. He keeps saying this six times in the Old Testament it was mentioned about Caleb. Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. My brothers and sisters, remember, the faith must be demonstrated through total commitment. Our faith must be demonstrated through total commitment. And remember, the faith is accurately defined as what? Believing in your mind, in your heart? No. Faith is accurately defined as following. If you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23, listen to what Jesus said about the people with faith. He says, he said to them all, Who wants, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, but take up their cross daily and what? Follow me. And Caleb's wholeheartedly follow the Lord. In Hebrew, this phrase, wholeheartedly follow the Lord, actually means to close the gap. Okay? That's why actually transliteration. Okay? Closing the gap. It is a phrase used by hunters to refer to their closing the gap between themselves and, the, and their prey. It refers to the fact that the Caleb was committed to keeping the distance between himself and the, and the Lord at a minimum. That's what it means. I'm following you. I'm, perch, I'm pursuing you. That's the picture. That's the imagery. Wholeheartedly follow, meaning I'm going to keep distance between me and God at a minimum. That is what it is. Every inch, every ounce, every nerve, every fiber of Caleb belonged to God, meaning his faith was increasing as he experienced God more and more in his life, and he wanted to continue to follow his ways, follow his, his word, follow him all the way. This is talking about the total commitment. He was committed 100%. Not 90%. By the way, there is no 99.9999% in faith. In obedience, right? There's only 100%. 
So when you fully commit it, there is no looking back or turning back. Do we have that kind of faith? When we said, I believe in Jesus Christ. When we said, I'm going to follow him and his ways all the way. Whatever the Bible says, this is the truth. This is the, the utmost highest authority in my life. How it's going to govern my life. And this is my life manual. What is happening today in our culture? When our culture, when the political narratives and rhetorics are challenging this authority of the Bible, what do we do? We fall back? We shrink back? That's not faith, my brothers and sisters. That's fear. We have to remember, my brothers and sisters, in faith, in obedience, there is no 99.9999%. Are we committed? That's the question that I would like to ask. There's no turning back for us. Sorry. There's no looking back. Remember when Israelites in the Exodus in the wilderness, what was their problem? They looked back, right? Oh, how I wish I can taste the meat and vegetables from the Egypt. Man, you want to go back to Israel, go back to the slavery just to, to fulfill your mere pleasure of the tongue? A taste? But that's what they're saying. And they're grumbling against God. Oh, how I wish I go back to the slavery just to eat the taste and the food. There's no turning back. If you look, at, look back at the history, when Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his mighty Roman legions, he took a bold and decisive step to ensure that the success of his military venture. You know what he did? He ordered to burn every ship in which they had crossed the channel. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. Imagine that. You landed on the shore of the Britain and you burn every ship that you used. So everyone is trapped in this land of Britain, you have nowhere to go. Now, that his soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was nothing left for them to do but what? To advance and conquer. And that's exactly what they did. That is a total commitment. You know, half-hearted Christians would never experience the promise of victory exerting in their lives. We will never be able to experience God's power if we are, if we have the half-hearted. A double-minded man is unable, unstable in all his ways, according to James chapter 1, verse 8. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Not fully committed man or woman. A double-minded man or woman. They're unstable. All their ways. And we won't be able to stay in faith. You know, I'm talking about when we say double-minded men. Easily, it's a not fully committed man. Part of you, part of, one leg is on the world, the one leg is in the church. Or the word, whatever you want to call. You're in the 
middle land. You don't belong to the world completely. You don't really belong to the church or the people of God completely. You're just between. That's the one of the worst place to be, I think. I don't know. For me. Like, you cannot fully enjoy the world. At the same time, you cannot really fully enjoy God. Like, you are in the... You can even enjoy both. And I'm not saying that we should just all go to the world, fully emerge ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But at least those who are in, the, in, in Christ, who are just living out their lives in this world, man, they're at least doing something in that fully. But, you know, I'm talking about those people who are in the middle. And a lot of Christians today, we are in that stage. But the time has come, as I already mentioned about the reality of what's happening today's culture. No turning back. There's no middle ground anymore. Like, you have to choose. You cannot really stay in the middle anymore. Part of me, I want the world. Part of me, I want the word. You can't do that anymore. Time has come. The testing of our faith is here today, now. We must choose. As a matter of fact, that's what the Joshua's word was. When before he was about to enter into the promised land, Joshua said, no, at the, after the campaign, after this, by the way, later on, Joshua says, now we have the, we have the promised land in our hands. Now you got, you are divi- the land is divided. He said, now you choose. Whom are you going to serve? Only when we are fully, wholeheartedly committed to the Lord, we can stand firm and experience God's power. And God is not looking for those who are talented or those who are intelligent, those who are extraordinary. That's not what God is looking for. You know what God is looking for? God is looking for those who are committed committed. He's not looking for anything else. He, he's asking you, are you committed to me? You don't have to bring wealth and money or you don't have to just be smart and, and rich or whatever, educated in order to be a good Christian. No. God is saying, are you committed? You know, when D.L. Moody heard Henry of Raleigh saying, The world has yet to see what God can do in and through and with and for a man wholly committed to him. D.L. Moody changed his life. You know what D.L. Moody said? By God's grace, I will be that man. The man wholly committed to him. He was uncultured, uneducated, untrained shoe salesman. He was. That was his background. But he used him to move two continents for the great awakening for Christ. Why? He's fully committed. Are you totally sold out to Jesus Christ? That's the question that I want to ask you. I like that. Are we sold out to Christ? All Jesus wants from you is your total commitment. You don't have to bring your talents. You don't, I have nothing to offer to Christ. No, offer your heart, offer your life. Just give yourself to Christ and see what happens. That's what He wants. He wants your heart. 
He doesn't want just mere money. He doesn't just mere time of your life. He wants your heart. He wants your total commitment. But when we give ourselves to Christ, that's when things happen. That's when we start to experience God's power. That's when we start to make sense. Life makes sense. That's when we can clearly understand the meaning and purpose in our lives. That's when we can clearly see why we are here in the first place and where we are going. Right? We can find our origin. We can find our destiny. We can find our meaning. No wonder Jesus said, I am the beginning and the end, meaning Alpha and Omega, meaning I'm from the beginning and the end and everything else within. Faith must be expressed through your commitment. Amen. Let's look at Caleb's confidence. Remember, faith is being confident of what we do not see. And surely Caleb was confident of the promise of victory made by God 40 years before this moment in chapter 14. Imagine that. He said, God told me 40 years ago that this will be mine and I will actually win. 40 years ago. I believe the faith must be based on the confidence in the promise of God. Amen? Let me say it again. Faith must be based on the confidence in the promise of God. Notice that Caleb's confidence was in God's word. Verse 10 and verse 12. Let's read it together. Now then, just as the Lord promised me 40 years ago. I keep saying that because that was. He has kept me alive 45 years ago, actually, to be exact. He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to his Moses. Sorry, not 40 years, 45 years ago. While Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. And I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just vigorous as to go out to battle now as I, I was then. He was so confident. Imagine 85 years old man saying this to you. God promised me 40 years ago. Remember Moses said to me, Joshua, this land is supposed to be mine and I will drive these people out. Give me the army. Give me the permission. Give me this portion. It's mine. Certify it and I will take it. Imagine that. It's not young men here. What a different spirit that he had, right? Different faith. He's quoting the Moses 40 years back, 45 years back. Meaning, he never gave up on the promise of the 45 years, right? Meaning, he never forgot the promise that God has made through Moses about his life and about his descendants. He never forgot. He kept it in his mind, kept it in his heart for 45 years. Even though he was experiencing all kinds of trouble, seeing all kinds of unfaithfulness of Israel happening and God judging them. Even though he saw all the enemies and coming at and the hardship in the wilderness, he saw everything and he still kept his confidence in the word of God. What a different spirit that he had. What about us? I'm sure as a corporately, as a church, we have received the promise of God. 
is looking onto our vision and our mission. That's the promise of God that made upon this church, specifically about, what, 27, 26 years ago, right? How many of us, we hold on to that? What about your personal promises that God has made in your personal life? Do you still remember even? We don't even remember our personal verse of 2020. We are such a forgetful generation, aren't we? We forget about everything. The promise that God has made. Caleb had been seen the promised land and for 45 years that vision had burned in his heart as he wandered through the wilderness while others were complaining cable caleb was confident of god's promise and he did not forget the promise god more than 45 years because he was so confident of it my brothers and sisters listen to this please faith is not positive thinking Faith is not optimism. This is not mere positive thinking. Positive thinking doesn't last 45 years. Faith is not looking at the bright side. That's not faith. Faith is being sure, confident of what we hope for, and being confident of what God has promised. That is faith. That the confidence leads to simply acting on what God says. That's faith. So if you ever hear the teaching faith about Christian faith is about positive thinking, optimism, no. We're not just optimistic people. We're not just people who only look into the bright side. That's not who we are. We are the people of a certainty of what we hope for. We are the people who are confident of what God has promised so that we, our confidence leads us to what? Simply acting and living out whatever God says. That is a people of faith. That is what faith is. George Mueller, I mentioned that last week's sermon, but remember him as well, who believed God for his provisions. In early uh, 19th century, he raised over $4 million for his orphanage. By the way, early 19th century, the $4 million is a pretty big amount. By the way, he fed and took care of about more than 10,000 orphans during a time. So you kind of, you can kind of understand the amount of money that he needed. But did you know he never asked anybody for a dime? He never even do fundraising. He never went to different places and different churches and do fun. I'm not saying fundraising is bad. That's not what I'm saying. I know that some of the missionaries, they visit in places and they share and they raise funds for the ministry. Nothing wrong with it. But personally, George Mueller was convicted not to do that. He said, I'm not going to do that. We are not all George Mueller's, I know. But that was him. His conviction was, I'm going to rely 100% on Christ, his provision. And he never asked for a dime. But he raised more than $4 million in early 19th century. He took them to God. He was asking in faith, and he received that which he has needed. I wish you can, I really strongly um, recommend you guys to read the life of George Mueller. Uh, your eyes will be open. 
See, faith is never a blind leap, but a deep, settled conviction. Let me say it again. Faith is never a blind leap, but the deep, settled conviction that God will do what He has promised. Faith is being confident of God's promise. When God says, this, this will happen. And you are not just wishing it, and but you are sure of it. You're not just hoping for it. You are sure of it. Living out the certainty. You know why we live as we are as Christians today? We are so sure that Jesus will come back. He will. He will come back and literally wipe out the evil and judge. And He will reestablish His kingdom. That's what we believe. People say, oh, you look into the sky, in the nice blue sky. Are you kidding me? He's going to come. Something's gonna, somebody's going to come like a superman. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what the Bible says. He will come down. The host of angels and people of God will be lifted high. That's what we believe. And not just we hope for that moment. We are sure of it. Not because we saw Jesus physically, but we have experienced Him spiritually. And we have been so much clearly put our faith in God's Word, which is the Word of God, the Bible. Amen. Amen. More you live in the promise of by faith, more you will be confident. Caleb was living in the promise of God, and more he experienced God's power in fulfilling the promise. More faith was generated. See, there's a perpetual process, isn't it? In the beginning, we have a small faith, and we started to understand who God is. But as we put our trust in Him, and our faith grows a little bit more, and as we do that, we experience His power. And as we experience His power, what happens? Our faith it grows even more. That much more, we want to even trust Him more. And as we trust Him even that much more, we can experience even more of God. And more you do this process of growing of faith, and guess what? You'll be so mature, even though you might not see some of the crazy things happening in your life, you might say, you know what? I'd be still believing God. Because He says so. I have two daughters, 10-year-old and 5-year-old, and if you see the difference... There's a difference in the relationship between me and him. Five-year-old, she gets so easily scared in, in the dark. So, oh, Daddy, I'm scared. Can you please be with me? Please be with me. Oh, of course, of course. But I'll say, hey, let me take care of this, and I'll be back. You just, just stay here. It's not going to take long. Take long. But she's like, okay, but she cannot wait. She cannot believe that I will be coming back so early. So she, what does, she follows me and says, I cannot. But my 10-year-old, who is a little bit older and more mature, she knows when I say, I'll be back in five minutes. And she knows that I'll be back. So she waits without any problem. Five-year, 10-year-old does that because she knows me even more and experienced me five more years. So when daddy says he's going to come back soon, he will be back. But the, my five-year-old still doesn't sometimes believe that. So she keeps wanting to just stay with me all the time which sometimes is, I don't want to say bothersome, but it gets a bit hectic. But point is, more you grow, more you trust in God. 
As you trust more, your faith will grow even more. And as your faith even grows more, you'll trust Him even more. And more and more and more, you will mature. You will develop your faith. And later on, that you will always remember the promise of God in your life. Amen. As we continue following God, may our confidence in faith increase. Let's move on to Caleb's courage. Verse 12, he says, Give me this hilled country that the Lord has promised me that day. This is the Caleb's word. You yourself heard then the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, as, just as he said. What a courage, coming from 85 years old men. By the way, Anakites were known amongst the Canaanites as the most fearsome people in the region. So in the conquest campaign, that region was the most hardest place to conquest. As a matter of fact, that's why they waited a little bit long. They were conquering different places first, and these fearsome people now they had to face. And these fearsome people, the strongest enemy they see as an as a, as a army, guess what? Who comes out and says, Caleb, not even young men, but the old man comes out and says, hey, by the way, that's mine. Don't touch. Right? That's why I say, hey, they are mine. You know what I'm talking about? If you watch some kind of, uh, you know, movies in, in, in the, like, hey, he's mine. Don't touch. I, I will take care of him. Right? That's, that's Caleb is doing, literally. What a courage. Question, what does this, where does this courage come from? Was Caleb like this courageous from the very beginning? And he was an old man. Usually the courage is a characteristic of a young man. Right? Actually, some Greek philosopher said the courage is the, the luxury of young men. But anyway, let's look at his faith pattern to understand where this courage comes from. Again, total commitment that he had led to what? The confidence in the promise of God. As you fully commit it, and as you followed him, as you follow God in commitment, guess what's going to happen? You will start to build up your confidence in the promise of God. And this confidence was later on translated into this courage. So it didn't jump from nowhere to just courage. It came in the process. First, your commitment meant to be made. And that through your commitment, your confidence was built up in the Word. And as your confidence by faith was built up, guess what? This was translated into courage. That's why, you know, those people who are faith mature people, they are courageous people. They're not cowardice people. You know, those people who are not fully committed and who doesn't have any confidence in the Word of God, they are the one who's cowardice people. It's nothing to do with the age, by the way. It's a really everything to do with the perception, how you see things. You see, if you see things through faith, clearly, with faith, you can be courageous. But if you see things through flesh, 
you will be cowardice. You, fear will operate in your life. When we see, deal with the COVID, for instance, as a Christians, how do we deal with it? Of course, we need to be careful. That's not what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about here. But how do, we live, how do we deal with it? With fear or with faith? That's the question that I would like to throw at you for you to think about. I'm not going to talk about it here. But more you commit yourself to God, more you become confident in the Word of God. And more you are confident in the Word of God, guess what? You will be courageous beyond our own might. I call this divine courage. It's not really coming from you. It's coming, it generates from the Spirit of God that helps you to be courageous. So faith generates courage beyond human might. See, that's what faith does to us when you activate your faith. It's not really you. It's actually God helping you because you have a confidence in His Word. And that confidence was, confident was built up through your commitment to follow Him. Everything is interconnected, isn't it? So Caleb, 40 years ago, might not be able to do this, maybe. But as he was being mature, you can be, he, he become more courageous. Courage comes from the confidence, right? Confidence of what? Depend, you fill in the blank. His courage was coming from the confidence in the promise of God. And that is faith. Amen? I hope this explains well for you to understand. But let me, act, let me clarify one more thing. Courage is not the absence of fear, by the way. Courage is overcoming fear by faith. That's the difference. Okay? We all experience fear. Everyone. But the courage is not the absence of fear. It's actually state of overcoming fear by faith. And if you look into his life, there are three scaled uh, they had to three, Caleb had three obstacles, I'll call it three G's, letter G, in his conquest in Canaan. Okay? Three G's. First, he had to overcome grasshopper. And you want to say grasshopper? Grasshopper. Well, grasshopper. What is grasshopper? Well, if you look at Numbers 13, verse 33, grasshopper, for the Caleb to claim that what God had promised, he had to go against the majority. 40 years back, when he was sent, 45 years back, when Caleb and Joshua and other, uh, the spies, uh, others were sent to spy on the land of, land of uh, promised land. You, you remember, all these peers were afraid of entering into the promised land, right? When they saw the giants in the land, they said to Moses, this is the word that they used, we are like grasshoppers compared to the people living in the land. Ammon, um, Anakites, I told you, was the most fierce man. They were physically bigger than the Israelites. Not only physically, they had a weaponry, better weaponry, I'm sure. And they were just saying, compared to them, we're like a grasshopper. These are giants. These are big people. So 10 spies were saying, reported that we are like grasshoppers. We can't do this. Josh, the Caleb had to overcome that. He had to overcome grasshoppers. Cants and canters will always surround the people of true faith. Especially when you're trying to live by faith and follow God, there will be a lot of people around you, even possibly in the church, I'm sorry to say, even possibly from the Christian friends. 
These grasshoppers were not the non-Israelites. We're talking about your peers. They're calling themselves, we are like grasshoppers compared to these guys. These are giants. If you want to follow God and if you want to have a courage, you need to overcome. First of all, he had to overcome the grasshoppers. What about us? Look around us. What kind of people are we surrounding ourselves with? Just because they're Christian, it does not really mean that they are not grasshoppers. Just because we are Christian, we are here, does not mean that we are not grasshoppers either. We have to check ourselves, don't we? What kind of attitude do we have? Is it so negative attitude that, oh, we can't do this, oh, we can't do that? Oh, I cannot really believe. Come on. Really? We need to really believe the Bible in certain issues against all the social narratives and the culture, what's cultural happenings. Do we have to really stay with this? Because everybody is attacking Christians now, branding us as a bad people now. What do we do? Maybe we should just change it. Maybe we should not talk about sins anymore. Maybe let's not talk about those sticky, sticky topics. My brothers and sisters, we need to have a courage to overcome grasshoppers. Amen. We really need to remember that. Second thing that they had to, he had to overcome was giant, not only grasshopper. Again, Numbers 14 through 8 through 9, it actually says, all of us have giant in our lives. The giants of discouragement, finance, sickness, COVID, family, even. Distress, doubt. And the truth is, we can't defeat those giants by ourselves. What do we do? We have two options. We can say, look how small we are compared to these giants. And this is the outlook of fear. Or the second option we can have, look how small those giants are compared to God. And this is, up, this is the outlook of faith. Outlook of fear is that we compare the situations, we compare the things surrounding us to ourselves. So we compare ourselves to those things, to, our, to those giants. That's the outlook of fear. But outlook of faith says we should always compare those problems and giants of our lives to God and see how small that problem becomes. Amen. So he had to overcome grasshoppers. He had to overcome, second G, the giants. Last but not least, Caleb had to overcome gray hairs. Right? What does this tell us? When God makes a promise, he will give us the strength to see its fulfillment in spite of your age, in spite of your experience. In faith, my brothers and sisters, age is irrelevant. Just because you're old does not mean that you have a bigger faith. Just because you're young does not mean that you have a small faith. Just because if you're old does not mean that you don't have courage. Just because you're young, you have a courage. Again, in faith, age is irrelevant. He says, I am stronger than before. 
45 years ago, I was 40, and today I can say at the age of 40, 85, he's, the Caleb says, I am stronger than when I was 40. Wow, what a powerful statement. By the way, if you read on, he actually took the army and fought, he, oh, he, he, lead the, he led the army and took out the city, and he took the Hebron. Amazing, isn't it? 85 years old man. Grandpa in our eyes. See, never count God or yourself out. The true faith looks beyond the present circumstances and see the provisions of God in the future. Amen? My prayer is that you will... It's not just for if, whether you're old or you're young does not really mean anything. If you are activating our faith, we just continue to trust God. And the only way to overcome our fear is our faith in God. See, courage can be defined in three letters. Y-E-S. Yes. All real Christian courage really is, is willing to say yes to God's call in your life. Yes to God's promise in your life, no matter what you're going through. Amen. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken by us by faith to the glory of God. Wow. Amen. That's Caleb's courage. Faith generates courage beyond our own ability, beyond human might. Last but not least, let's look at Caleb's conquest. Look at verse 13. It says, Then Joshua blessed the Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him the Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Obviously, he didn't explain clearly what actually happened to the conquest. He actually ended up achieving the victory. Caleb experienced what God has promised, and he settled in Hebron. And he claimed the mountain, and he defeated the giants, and he claimed his possession, what was rightfully his, according to God's promise. The name of place Caleb inherited was Hebron. You know what Hebron actually means? By the way, it was not Hebron, remember? It was a Kirith Arba, but they changed the name to Hebron. You know what the Hebron actually means? It means fellowship. Oh, what a perfect name, isn't it? After he achieved the Kirith Arba, he changed this place name to fellowship. Caleb refused to quit until he had obtained everything the Lord has for him. And he refused to stop until he had obtained the place of fellowship with God. That's why they call it fellowship. Caleb embraced his calling, his conquest, and he persevered. What happened to him? He never gave up. And at the end, he conquered his fear. He conquered his fearsome enemies. And more than just conquering, you know what he did? He received what? God 
has promised them. I don't know about you. I want to receive what God has promised me. Amen? See, we, cannot, we ought to refuse to give up, back up, or shut up, or be held up. Until we have stood up, lined up, read up, prayed up, confessed up, stored up, spoke up, looked up, and filled up on everything the Lord wants us to give to His children. I pray that we will never give up. Romans 8.37 says, All these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. God is with us. Our conquest is that we will expand God's kingdom with the love of Christ, preaching the word of God, the gospel. We ought to set up for nothing less than the place of perfect fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What is your conquest? Let me rephrase that. What is your calling in your life? Have you dropped the ball have you dropped your calling? So many people that I know, so talented, so fired up, so passionate, so intelligent. Once they said, this is my calling. And they're no longer following their calling. Do we give up now how we are, who we are? Just that the world is changing. Just everybody else is saying otherwise. Are we going to give up who we are? Give up being who we are as God's people? As we look into Caleb's life, it is my prayer that we will learn not to give up until the very end. And if we do not give up and persevere, I am sure the Lord will fulfill His promises in your life, in my life, in our church, and in our world as well. Until then, let us follow, let us follow God and His promises. Let us follow Him wholeheartedly so that we can operate in confidence by faith to exert God's courage in our lives until we finish our conquest. Amen? Let's pray.